This is Shep Hyken, author of I'll Be Back, How to Get Your Customers to Come Back Again and Again, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Shep Hyken to talk about his book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again, published by Sound Wisdom. Wow, that company and those people are amazing. That's exactly what Shep Hyken wants your customers to say about the experience they have when they do business with your company and interact with your people. Shep is a customer service and experience expert and is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author. He's an award-winning keynote speaker who has been inducted into the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame, and his articles have appeared in hundreds of publications. Shep works with companies and organizations who want to build loyal relationships with their customers and employees. He is the author of Moments of Magic, The Loyal Customer, The Cult of the Customer, The Amazement Revolution, Amaze Every Customer Every Time, Be Amazing or Go Home, and The Convenience Revolution, which was featured on episode 192 of the Marketing Book Podcast in 2018. He's also the creator of the Customer Focus, uh, a customer service training program that helps clients develop a customer service culture and, and loyalty mindset. Shep has worked with hundreds of clients ranging from Fortune 100 size organizations to companies with fewer than 50 employees. Some of his clients include American Airlines, AAA, Anheuser-Busch, AT&T, Aetna, Abbott Labs, American Express, and that's just a few of the A's, okay? An interesting fact, he does magic and card tricks, plays guitar, and is a diehard St. Louis Blues hockey fan. Shep, congratulations on I'll Be Back, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. All right. Well, thanks for having me here. Love it. Love it. Love the introduction. Thank you. And hey, I should have said to you a couple of years ago, I'll be back. Why not? That was the name of the book. Uh, That's what came out of it. <laughs> I see what you did there. It's a great idea. And the book trailer for your book is the best book trailer I have ever seen. Honestly, I thought I was watching the trailer for Terminator 4. <laughs> so isn't that funny? When I started writing this book, I had I didn't even think of the Terminator. I didn't think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just started saying, what do we want our customers to say? 
I'll be back. What is it that you need to measure when you're doing business? It's like, you know, you can measure customer satisfaction. We want to measure, did they come back? So, <laughs> and it just seemed like a natural title. I'll get, I'll be back, how to get customers to come back again and again. And then as I started writing, even at the very like beginning, as I was starting to assemble content ideas, I said, you know, I could do a little, it's not a Terminator theme book, but I use some terminology, like why would a customer terminate their relationship with Mm -hmm. you? And uh, I even included some uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger um, quotes, if you will, Mm -hmm. Arnieisms at the beginning of the book, just because I thought he's a cool dude, man. He's a really cool dude. Yes. And enough about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's talk about Shep Hyken for just another moment here. I have discovered that when I get the opportunity to interview a National Speakers Association Hall of Fame member, it's a grand slam <laughs> because a couple reasons. And, and I've interviewed you. I've interviewed um, Bob Berg, Jay Bear, Scott Stratton, Scott McCain. and All my buddies. Yes. You're all members of the, of the Hall of Fame. And I stumbled upon this, and then I ran into Jay Bear himself at, in Cleveland at one point. And I said, you know, you big-time speakers write the most phenomenal books. And not just uh, the Hall of Famers, people like Joey Coleman and Marcus Sheridan and Phil Jones. Joey's oh, a, I think, is Joey a Hall oh, is of Joey? Famer? Oh, Joey? Okay. I think he may be in now. Oh, okay. Okay. But Marcus, he, he write, wrote a heck of a book. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so... I said, you know, what is going on with these people who are great speakers? I said, is it like the comedians who just work on their material year after year after year? And and Jay let me in on the secret, which I'm now sharing with everyone. He says, oh, yeah, I don't write a book until I've given a presentation on it at least 25 times. And so it's so it's so field testing that uh, tested the pacing is great the you know which stories resonate and because you've had all this feedback over the years you know which ones aren't breaking through and not just at keynotes but also in workshops and and all that sort of thing so it's um it's 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 guaranteed and actually uh, it's it's an easier interview and then your book there's only been one other book out of over 300 where you include all the questions at the beginning of the book like we're going to tackle these questions, and I'm thinking, oh boy, I, you know, it's almost like I don't need to read the book. I did read the book, and I've got some things I want to pull out of there. But you included all the questions to ask at the very beginning, so it was that was uh, excellent. Now, enough about Shep Hyken. Let's get back to Arnold Schwarzenegger. I had to laugh. I'll be back. It's an idea that's going to stick. Okay, and terminating relationship, it, I'm already going to be working it into my repertoire with full attribution, of course. But let me read a, a quick excerpt from the beginning here, and I'm going to have a little bit of help with me. Okay, okay. So I'm going to read from uh, it's uh, page 16 here. Up to this point, you may not have considered the possibility that a successful business strategy could be built around Hollywood legend and former governor of California Arnold Schwarzenegger's most famous tagline. But Arnold's best-known line. I'll be back. Points us toward a vitally important principle when it comes to creating and sustaining a competitive edge in the marketplace. Repeat business, and especially business that results from customer loyalty, makes all the difference. Those three words. I'll be back. Are game changers. This book is about generating them more often, more strategically, and more reliably than your competition. What we are striving for is a customer who thinks and says, I'll be back. Always. The question is, how do we get there? The more moments you can deliver that support, encourage, and reinforce the I'll be back response, 
the better off your business will be. The greater the likelihood that it will survive and thrive no matter what curveballs the marketplace, the global economy, or the world at large may throw your way. So whether you deal directly with customers, you lead a team that does, or you are a leader who wants to build a better customer experience into the organizational DNA of your company, you have come to the right place. If you are intrigued by the possibility of getting large numbers of your customers to say, I'll be back. You've come to the right place. And if you're an entrepreneur looking to build your business around the idea of attracting and retaining loyal customers, you've come to the right place. If you fall into any of those categories, this book is for you. So, Shep, I want to ask you to explain the three big ideas from page 17 that will enable people to get the most out of the book, but also it will enable them to get the most out of what you're going to say in this interview. Sure, sure. And by the way, I love what you did. Uh, I've got to tell you, I'll be back in the first Terminator was like nasty for the guy he said it to. You may remember it was at a police station. Yes. And he was upset. He didn't get what he wanted. And he said, I'll be back. And he then he blew up the, the police station. Yeah. But in the second movie, Terminator 2, when he said, I'll be back, he was the good Terminator. Or he was the good guy going after the bad guy. Yes. And I'll be back took on a whole different meaning. And uh, somewhere in the book, I mentioned that I'll be back was used a number of times. Um, in different movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger has done. Anyway. Right. So, so when it comes to tearing up a police station, what we're saying is... Don't do that. <laughs> that's good. Oh, man, that's funny. All right, big idea number one. It's real simple. You set yourself apart, and the way you get there is by opening up your mind to different ideas and possibilities. And there's going to be a lot of that happening in this book. A lot of it's common sense, but a lot of common sense is not very common. Yes. So we're reminding you about a lot. Big idea number two is you've got to be willing to, if you're going to read it, don't just read it. I want you to think about it. And what are you going to change? One of the questions we love asking, we do workshops with our clients. And we asked them at the end, all right, you heard great ideas. What are you going to start doing, stop doing? What are you going to change? That's what we're asking. And you've got to be willing to change your process. And uh, it's, and Arnold Schwarzenegger said, if you don't find the time, if you don't do the work, you don't get the results. Affirmative. Affirmative. Where are you getting that? It's like, I love that. Uh, it's, it's like, if, if you take the time to read this book, it means you've put in the work which means you needed to go into taking idea or taking action, which is big idea number three. And uh, you've got you to move forward. Like Arnie said, you can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in your pockets. That's right. And so everybody just needs to suspend uh, belief and, and, and open your mind to what we're going to talk about. But in the book, Shep, you talk about how this really doesn't work well if there's not a culture in your organization that accepts mm -hmm. this. And I'm just wondering a couple things. One is, let's say somebody's working at a company and the management doesn't get it, or they just don't, they, they think it's just not relevant or whatever. How can people go about trying us other than maybe anonymously sending this book to the CEO? <laughs> how can well, let's say a marketer or a salesperson out there, a listener who's not in charge of the company, how can they start to get a better understanding of this with their their organization? And 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 also, like, what is it that maybe 
happens to a company where they suddenly do start to get? What is it that prompts them to pick up a book like this and start to understand and, and you know maybe hire a guy like you? Sure. Well, this is the coolest part. 85% or so of my clients who call us for help really don't need help. What they need is sustainability. And actually, they know that too. They're great at what they do. They want to sustain. When clients buy this book for their employees, and at the end of each chapter are questions that you can use in team meetings. You can assign a chapter, read this next week. We'll come back and talk about it. And we give you the exact questions and discussion topics you need to have. And what happens is these companies already are great at what they do. Once in a while, we get the call, help, I've fallen down, I can't get up. No, help, I can't get my, you know, I'm, I'm falling behind my competition. I'm, I'm losing market share. We don't understand what's going on. Now, we have to make an assumption. Companies sell a product that people want to buy. But if they're buying it from a competitor instead of you, there has to be a reason. And we'll help our clients determine what that is. Oftentimes, we can go back to the experience that the company is creating. And that's where I come into play. That's where people come into play. That's where this book comes into play. What can we do to create an experience that gets people to want to come back again and again? And you mentioned it starts with the culture. And I believe before you can have a good customer experience or customer service program, you've got to be, it's got to be built into your culture. Your people have to believe in it. So oftentimes people say, well, what do I do? I've got a problem, you know, and I say, well, you may not, you may have the right people on the bus. They just haven't found their seat on that bus yet. And mm. you got to hire the right people. You've got to train the people to do what they're supposed to do. And by the way, that's everybody. To, we know, we can, we can prove over and over again that companies that only train their frontline employees are nowhere near as effective as companies that train their entire organization on why service and experience is important. Mm. So um, I, if you want, it's not in the book, it's in some articles. I talk a little bit about it in the book, but I can take you real quick through the six steps to create a customer-focused culture. So that's a marketing book podcast extra. Yeah, it's a bonus. <laughs> it's a bonus. How do we do it? Volume. We just give this stuff away. Yeah. So, Shep Hyken, you're already over-delivering. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, what is it? Uh, talk well, about that. I, mean, I do talk about creating the right culture in the book, but let me share with you this six-step process that's actually a simple process, but simple doesn't mean easy. It's actually simple if you're a small business, but if you've got you know 50,000 employees, this is going to take a while, but it's real It's real conceptually easy. Number one, you have to define what your service and experience vision is going to be. One sentence or less. And this is not your mission statement or your values or vision statement. It's It can be separate or it can be built into it. But think about the Ritz-Carlton. They have a nine-word sentence. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. These people get it. And when they go to work at the Ritz, they learn this, and then they are given gold standards. They're, they're trained to to deliver on this credo, as they call it, the ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen credo. So that's the first thing is, is define it in clear, crystal terms, one sentence or less that everybody can remember. Number two, communicate it. Communicate the heck out of it. And remember, this is not a theme for the year or theme for the quarter. It is the theme for your entire business to go right alongside your most important you know, value statements, vision statements, et cetera. Number three, train everybody. And when I say everybody, that means even the people in the warehouse, people behind the scenes who never see the customer, they need to understand what they do and how it impacts the overall experience, either somebody internally who eventually supports a customer or just 
directly to the customer. So train. And by the way, don't train once, train often. That doesn't mean you take hours and hours every time you train. You might put somebody into a bigger training session to kick things off, but you can spend five minutes every week or so talking about some important customer service topics, sharing a story of something that happened in your own organization. And that's just going to keep it all front of mind. But but you know, Shep, let me just interject. My sense is that more employees are customer facing than they realize. Mm-hmm. It's and it's not if is even if they're customer facing is customer impacting, yes, which is yes. An, another way of saying it's a better it. Better way of saying, so, yeah. So uh, um, it, I didn't say better way. I just said another way because <laughs> I would never say your way wasn't worse or better. I would just say it's right. Anyway, so let's I, say about you learn that I, when you're married after a while. Yes, I uh, know. Um, and so, I'd like to thank Cindy for allowing you to come on this podcast well, again. Well, thank, thank you. So we're on step number three, and right. here's the example of training that I love to use. If I'm going to take a flight to go visit you, and you're, I believe you said you're in Virginia Beach, mm-hmm. I've got to get on an airplane, and let's say I can even get a nonstop flight. It's about two and a half hours, and I will check my bags at the curb. That's a front-facing job, but the moment my bags go down into the bowels of the airport... Uh, I no longer see those bags until I see them, hopefully, in um, Virginia Beach at the baggage carousel at the airport. And what will happen is this. Ten people behind the scenes will touch my bag. None of them ever see me. But if they don't do their job, they're going to make my experience miserable. And you know what else? They also have an internal customer. And I feel really bad for the person that stands behind the counter of that baggage office that's right next to the baggage carousel because nobody walks into that office throughout the day and says, hey, just wanted to let you my bag, let you know my bag's got here. Thanks, you're awesome. <laughs> no, they go into that baggage car- uh, room and they go, you canceled my bags. I hate this airline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that internal customer of the person who works in the baggage area that person just let their internal customer down, and now they have to deal with me. They also let me down, the outside customer. So impact at both levels. So yes, you're right. Uh, you've got to train people on where their role and responsibility lies within the ecosystem of your company's experience. So shall I go on with number four? Please. So we did training. Number four is that if you're a leader or manager or supervisor, you're the role model. You're setting the tone. You treat the cust- you treat I'm sorry, you treat the employees as if they are customers because that's the way you want your customers treated. Maybe even treat them better because you really set the tone. Mm-hmm. Number five is uh, as leaders, we must defend the culture, which means if somebody gets out of line, we got to go talk to that person, get them back on the bus, get them back in alignment. If it's a department, if it's a larger company and there's a whole region or an entire country that's out of alignment, recognize this. If you've got, I'm just going to simplify it. If you've got 100 people that work for you and 99 of them are rock stars, but I call up and I get the one that's not, my impression of your entire company is based on one person. So if one of your departments, one of your people, a region, a part of the company is out of alignment with your vision, that's your entire company, not just that small part. So that's number five. Number six, celebrate it. If it's working, let people know it's working. I'm not saying you have to give a huge party, but let people know they're doing a great job. Pat them on the back. They'll be very appreciative that you did so. Terrific. Shep, let me just interject here and say that reading your books can be in a bit of an emotional roller coaster, at least for me. And the reason why is because everything in your books you explain, I'm able to, I, I read the examples you're giving, but 
I also have experienced everything going wrong that you talk about. It almost makes it more difficult now. I think maybe I'm, I'm, a, I'm a more difficult customer because I still see, I just endure so much uh, bad experiences with companies. Um, and it, you know, sometimes I don't know if I want to help them or if I want to say something like, Fuck you, asshole. It's just difficult, you know? Wow, we just went from G rated to R. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, you you're able to turn them into a client. I I have that reaction that uh, that Arnold just uh, shared with us. So let's dive into a couple of the specifics here. I guess we could dive into the pool of net promoter scores, customer satisfaction scores, customer effort scores. What would you say is the single most important measurement? in the world of business. And, and this is right out of the book, and that is to measure behavior. Do they come back? The repeat business. We need to know. So here's so measure behavior, not necessarily happiness. Right. Well, Amy, you want to know that. Uh, I think they're both important measurements, but if you ask me what's the one important measurement more than any, it's like, does the customer actually come back? Right. And you know, here's what, let, let's just use, you know, your customer satisfaction on a scale of one to five. Were you happy? One, I hated you. Five, I loved you, right? And what we're doing is we're getting a history lesson. We're learning that, yeah, we're doing a good job, but that's in the past. And then you can measure intent. Uh, that's what the net promoter score does on a scale of zero to 10. What's the likelihood that you'd recommend us? Mm -hmm. And if they give you a nine or a 10, that's a promoter. And their intention is if given the opportunity, they would recommend you. Now, I know that you told me that there are salespeople who listen to this show. A lot. And if you have a company that uses the net promoter score on any one of the customers that you have, if you're a salesperson, and the you know, zero to 10, what's the likelihood you recommend? If they have a nine or a 10, that means they're a promoter. Seven or eight, that means they're passive. The job or the experience is okay. It may be leaning toward being great where you would promote or leaning toward uh, backside, which is where you become a detractor, six or less uh, is a detractor. Now, your promoters, if they say they're willing to uh, recommend, if I'm a salesperson, I don't say thank you very much for telling me that. I say thank you very much. Who would you refer me to? Who would you recommend me to? Can I get their names and numbers so I can call them? That's, that's taking action, mm -hmm. and I like that. But typically, your net promoter scores, your CSAT, uh, they're measuring history. They're measuring what your experience was the last time. So I want to have mechanisms in place for where I can track the repeat business from a customer, the lifetime average, you know, the, they call it the, um, you know, lifetime, the value average on the lifetime of a customer, however you want to say it. You need to measure that because you get to make better decisions when you understand that the average customer is worth this much to you. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to increase that lifetime value uh, over, you know, if we can get, if they're, if they're worth $1,000 to us over the next 10 years, what can we do to get that to 1100 1200 Because what we've learned, and everybody will tell you that typically repeat customers spend more money. Mm -hmm. when they come and do business with you than a person that comes in every once in a while or maybe even just one time. And by the way, I'm talking about each time they buy from you, not just a cumulative period. That's obvious. Um, and and so that's what I want to measure. I want to measure the behavior. I want to start to look at the benchmarks. And the way to do that is you start measuring now. Um, 
And once you start putting improvements in place, you'll be able to track whether or not there's a difference. Yes. And in the marketing world, you know, we hear from clients or prospects who want to grow their revenue and they seem to be, maybe it's because they're coming to an outfit like ours, but they're saying, we need more leads. We need more leads. And <laughs> I always want to say, wait a minute, what, what are you doing with your current customers right now? In other words, it always strikes me as being much faster revenue and easier revenue if they're doing everything they can to sell more to their current customers rather than yep. spending, what, five times as much to get a new customer that they might then lose. And and by the way, that's a pretty general statistic. In some businesses, you'll have to spend 10 or 15, 20 times more. And if you look at the churn of your customers, the goal is to reduce the churn. Every business has churn. Sometimes the churn, uh, the loss of a customer is due to they moved out of the area. Perhaps they passed away. Maybe they aged out of your product. Those churning moments uh, where you lose your customers are not because of something you did. It's because your business is no longer relevant to them. And I'm okay with that. But when I see the stat that's as old as like from the 1980s, when I started reading all of these from the Technical Assistant Research Program commissioned by the White House Office of Consumer Affairs, it says 70% of your customers leave you because they didn't like the experience. They felt that they were dealing with somebody that was, you know, apathetic toward you, no empathy, no concern, was just going through the motions. It wasn't a great experience. I'm thinking, hello, McFly, is anyone home? <laughs> you know, another movie reference. Another 1980s um, movie reference, yes. Exactly. You know, so some everything old is new again. My kids love those movies, and my kids were not even around when they were produced. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, but that that's, I mean, I'm just amazed uh, at the opportunities that are out there to create an experience that makes people want to come back that aren't taken advantage of. Um, by the way, back to what you were asking me about earlier with culture. If you look at the companies that provide the best customer experience, and then you go over to glassdoor.com and you look at the highly rated companies that employees enjoy working for, it's no coincidence that there's many companies on the same list. And uh, the way, you know what happens on the inside of an organization is felt on the outside. So you know, back to what we're talking about with culture and training the right people and making sure they understand their role, this is all so important. Yes, and there was a book on the show a while back uh, by uh, Josh Bernoff and Dave McFarlane called uh, Marketing to the Entitled Consumer. And, and some of them, mm. uh, it was three, three authors, and uh, I think two of them had worked at Forrester in the past. And there was a, uh, an index that they mentioned. I may be getting this wrong, but the, they, they, the Forrester was measuring uh, companies with the greatest customer experience. And they all, uh, of the publicly traded ones, they tended to outperform the laggards. So there's a connection. Not just minor, huge. <laughs> Order of magnitude stuff, yeah. Yeah, depending what years you're looking at in the market. Um, one of my books, I think it was uh, The Amazement Revolution, I put, there was this 10-year period where if you invested into the top 10 companies in the S&P uh, at that time, or top 20 companies that had been uh, recognized by the American Customer Satisfaction Index, ACSI, which comes out of the University of Michigan. 
if you took their top uh, performers and found stocks that you could buy of these companies that outperformed by more than double over a 10-year period. Now, that included a major dip with the recession. If you take that recession out of it, so you start at 2009 or 2010 and you go through 2019 or 20, you have outperformed the market by more than 600% when you invest in companies that are customer focused. And think about what those companies are. Those are your Amazons, your Apples, your Netflix. Uh, and, and you start looking at hotel chains that, yeah, there's question is because the volatility of the industry, but you look at the ones that sustained. You look at what Southwest Airlines did year over year, quarter over quarter. They've hardly missed a beat. Take away what's happened during the pandemic. And uh, those are the companies that perform well and give you some great return. I love that. And I think it also makes a great opening for somebody in an organization who's trying to evangelize uh, this idea. Uh, I, I would think that this would appeal to anyone in the C-suite, you know, the CFO, the, the CEO, anybody there. It's, it's where the money is. And there's others too. So, Shep, for those folks that haven't read uh, some of your other books, I was wondering if we could take a moment and just recap some of the foundational uh, concepts. Um, mm -hmm. you, you call them moments. There's the you know, the moment of truth and misery and mediocrity and, and magic. Could, could you explain that to folks? Sure, sure. So in every book that I write, I put these foundational concepts in. I do one chapter. If you hired me to speak at your next big meeting, and then you had me come back a year later, three years later, no matter how many times you have me come back, I'm going to take three or four minutes and cover this because everybody needs to be reminded. Uh, customer amazement comes from managing the interactions that your company has with the customer and making sure those interactions are simply better than average, predictably and consistently a little better than average. Now, it starts with understanding this concept, the moment of truth, which Jan Carlson, former president of Scandinavian Airlines, who, by the way, when he was asked to take the airline over, it was losing millions of dollars. And he turned it around with the idea of the moment of truth. And he defined it. Now, he's an airline guy, so his customers are passengers. Anytime that passenger comes into contact with any aspect of our airline, they form an impression. Paraphrasing, anytime one of our customers comes into contact with any aspect of our business, they form an impression. He said the impressions are good and bad. And I say there's a third one, and that's that moment of mediocrity that you just mentioned. Mediocrity is about average, satisfactory, okay. It's just fine. What's fine? Fine is not fine. Fine is an F-bomb in customer service and experience. Right. It's four letters. It starts with F. F-I-N-E. F is for a fake smile. I means it's insincere. N is I'm never going to come back. And E is it's emotionless. You know, it was just okay. I'm not coming back. You're dead to me. But seriously. It reminded me of a couple of spouses who were having an argument, and that would be the last word each one would say. Fine, fine, fine. Yeah, if I ask you, you know, how's everything? And my wife says, or I've asked my wife, how's everything? If she says it's fine, I You're in trouble. Her, yeah, I know I'm in trouble. But, and I also told her, if you really give me that word fine, I'm going to assume it is an argument is over. You can never bring up your problem again. All right. So, anyway, I digress. Uh, you've got the moment of mediocrity that is average. You've got a moment of misery when it's bad. And those come from complaints 
apathetic experiences. It wasn't like I have a complaint about the product or the company. It's just like the people just, they're not nice. They're not friendly. It was, it was, you know, there was a lot of effort there. It was a lot of friction. Uh, and it was, a, it was not positive. And then but there's, the, if you get feedback like that, you write that that is actually a gift because it most is a people gift. won't right. tell you so, that. Yeah. People that put you in the middle, mediocrity, they don't complain because they're just, eh, it's all right. Maybe I'll, I'll find somebody better next time. And they don't, because it wasn't that bad, you don't hear about it. But if there's truly a complaint, it is a gift and you get to seize it and you get to move that person to hopefully getting them where you want them to be. Now, let's make the assumption that you're a good company and these moments of misery don't happen all that often. But when they do, the goal is not to fix a problem, it's to fix the customer, re- restore their confidence, make them want to do business with you again. Now, positive moments of truth I call moments of magic. Now, don't think of magic as over the top and blow me away. Just think of magic as just, hey, this is nice. It's fun. You know, that word delight isn't like, wow, but, you know, delight your customer. And it's just make them make them feel good. So what does better than average look like? It's when I walk into a hotel and the person at the front says, desk says, good morning, and greets me with a smile. Or some an employee just walking by says, hello today, or good morning, whatever. You know, at the Ritz-Carlton, Horst Schultz, who is the first president and co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton, once it became a hotel chain, said that's what 10% is, saying hello when you walk by somebody. When they say, hey, can you tell me where the, you know, concierge is? Here, let me show you, and you take them there. You know, it's it's little things that add up. They're not over the top. Now, once in a while, something will fall in your lap where you can go over the top. But your goal is to manage every moment of truth and create a positive experience, even if it's just a tiny bit positive, predictably and consistently better than average. That's it. And when you do that and customers say, you know what? Uh, They're always so knowledgeable when I call them. They always get back to me when I leave an email or make a phone call and leave a message. You know, they're they're always so friendly. Even when there's a problem, I know I can always count on them. That word always followed by something positive gives you the indication that you are in that zone of amazement. And that's what amazement is, the consistent and predictable above average experiences. Yes, there was another concept in the book where I had to chuckle because the way that people buy has changed dramatically. The way they get information, of course, that's the straw that has stirred the drink of how we now sell and and, and how we now market. Are you hearing from a lot of people who say, well, customer service has changed too? And because you argue in the book that it actually hasn't. It hasn't. Not at all. You start off, let's just say uh, customer service. To me, customer service. Or customer is experience, all, yeah. It, yeah, or customer experience is all interactions that happen within an organization with the customer. But people think traditional customer services, I have a problem, it gets resolved. Has that changed? If you've got a problem, you reach out to the company, and if they do their job, when you're finished, you're going, you know what? I'm glad I connected with them. I'm glad I called them, texted them, whatever, and they made me happy. Has that ever changed? No. From the beginning of time, that's what it was. What has changed is what happens in the middle. I just mentioned I can call you. I can text you. I can get on my mobile phone and use an app. I can tweet to you. I can link in and connect with you that way. There's many different channels that I can connect with you on. There's lots of technology that will help drive a better experience. I've got the choice of, oh, I've got a problem. Let me go to the website. Maybe there's a frequently asked question. Maybe there's a video tutorial. 
I can use those tools to get to the point of saying, I'm happy I do business with them. So problem, happiness hasn't changed at all. In the middle, yeah, some of the technique has changed, but really it all gets to the same point. The customer's happy and says, I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you started to touch on the area of self-service that I found interesting and sort of a delicate balance that companies have to, to take. You write that sometimes people misunderstand you when you say that uh, self-service is one of the keys to developing a sustaining customer loyalty. And for me, I get back to that emotional roller coaster. It brought to mind their self-service because the company doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> well, in that case, you're, they're using self-service for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, the companies that use self-service to give customers a better experience is they're winners. And let me put it to you this way. Uh, when's the last time you took a trip anywhere? Any, I don't know, COVID probably you might say, oh, oh a year and a half. Probably, yeah, a year and a half ago, yeah. something like that. Yeah, you took a plane trip. Did you call the airline, wait on hold, talk to the reservationist, or did you go online and book it yourself? Oh, the latter, completely. Yeah, yeah, that's a self-service experience. Would you say that's because they didn't want to talk to you when you were frustrated that you didn't get to talk to the reservationist? No, no. Yeah, and you know what? And I never needed to call. Right, you didn't need to. Mm -hmm. When Delta Airlines came up with the idea, and by the way, and quickly after that, other airlines were doing it. They just Delta, I believe, was the first that launched it with the with the idea that if you go online and book the ticket, um, you you won't you know it'll be easier, quicker, faster. If you then print out your own boarding pass, remember printing the boarding pass rather than it being on the phone. uh, We're gonna get you to you. You can go straight to the gate without having to stop and get your boarding pass at the ticket counter. So they were creating these experiences that were self-service that were completely in line with what the customer actually wanted, which is fast, convenient, easy. Now, if I have self-service frequently asked questions and answers on my website and I don't give you the access to a phone number to reach out to me, now I'm trying to use self-service as a wall between us. And, yes. I, and what's unfortunate is the company doesn't often see that as a wall. They just see it as, oh, we're saving money by not having to have people on the phone. But really what they're doing is losing money in a much larger way than the people they would have staffing it uh, to you know customers that are frustrated that just choose to move on. Hmm. Well, a lot of these clients that you have, they, they already get it uh, and they're doing well. What are some of the things that a company does to put themselves in the shoes of their customers to try to create a better customer experience? So I would say there's several ways to do it. And I think, are you referring to the chapter where Bill Gates? Um, that was a good one. Yeah. And also- um, <laughs> That's like one of my favorite stories. Oh, I loved it. And let's talk about that because you also talk about, as you mentioned in the last book, the company that is the most convenient to do business with yeah, <laughs> tends to yeah. win. And and there's right. even the friction reduction cycle too that you, you may want to touch on. Right. So and and I and I I mean reducing friction and being convenient, especially as we went through this past pandemic, has been I, I want to get back to Bill Gates in a moment, but to to we'll, we'll work with the last point and then we'll go backwards. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> so um I wrote an entire book on being convenient. Six Convenience Principles. And that came out about two and a half years ago, I I guess, somewhere right around there. Yeah, about that, maybe two years ago. When I wrote it, um, 
That book was a breakthrough way of thinking. It was a differentiator. Customers, we did this survey before the pandemic, and we did another survey that the results will come out. I'm writing up the findings now, but people said, I'll 60, 60, I think 60 to 61% of the people would say, I will pay more for good service. 69% said, I'll pay more for convenience service. And if delivery was part of that, I'll pay up to nine, 90% of the people said, I'll pay more. Now, that's pretty cool. So if you can give good service, what's the tiebreaker? I'm going to be more convenient than my competition. By the way, uh, we learned in the most recent survey that personalization, you know who I am. And even if it's through uh, you know, automation that allows you to track me and know me, that's still important that it's another one of those tiebreakers. But back to convenience, it was a breakthrough about two or three years ago. Then it became very trendy, especially during the COVID era here in the last year and a half. And now as we're heading out of COVID, that that convenience isn't going away. It's an expectation. You've got to have it. And if you don't have it, your customer is just going to go someplace that does because now everybody knows what convenience is. Anyway, let's go backwards to where you said, how do you find out uh, if you're inside the company, are you doing a good job? And the best, the best several ways is you can mystery shop your company. Uh, you can, you know, play undercover boss and go, um, you know, pretend you're a customer and go out there. I even wrote about this back in the 1980s when I wrote my first book, Moments of Magic, which was, by the way, based on a speech that I titled Moments of Magic. I took the speech and <laughs> See how it, it works? into a book. <laughs> and so that's the way Jay Bear does a lot of his. But actually, I enjoy the other side. I enjoy writing, 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 maybe trying a few ideas in a speech and see how they resonate. But I put together this book and then I create the speech from the book, which is ah. really a, a totally different way of looking at it. And it's pretty fun. I do it both ways. But anyway, I digress. The story in the book is Bill Gates wanted to find out from Microsoft, wanted to find out just how uh, customers were really you know, enjoying their product. So he went to the support center and he put on a headset and he kind of had a little bit of help, I'm well, sure. First he asked the how- manager if he if it would be okay if he did that. Yeah. <laughs> is it okay? It was I, a 33-year-old billionaire who said, would it be yeah, okay if I maybe listened in on a call? And and he and he it didn't listen in. He actually handled the support call. Yeah, he said, and, hi, I'm, my name is William. I'm. How can I help yeah, you? Yeah, my name is William with Microsoft. How can I help you? And this woman was so happy, she called back and asked to speak to this young man named William, who was so helpful. <laughs> but the, that's a great story. But, I think but he listened. In other yeah, words, you you listen to your customers. You find out what it is they're doing, what it is they're thinking. You know, they may have the best ideas ever, and you got to you have to listen to those complaints because sometimes they don't sound like the complaints. They're just people talking, right? You know, I, I I you know I play ice hockey. You mentioned that I'm a big hockey fan, and I run one of our leagues, our early morning Wednesday league. And I was talking to the guy that really oversees the entire rink, and he goes. How are you guys doing out there? I go, well, I got to tell you, honestly, I was going to reach out to you, and here's why. Um, I actually went and called your competition, and I found out that you're $60 an hour higher than they are. And you want to know what they have that you don't have? And he goes, what? I go, they've got showers that have hot water. Yours don't. And you know we've been complaining about that now for two years. You know what else they have? 
the ice is smooth in the corners where the Zamboni bo- you know, doors are, that's very dangerous. Our players stop play when the puck goes into that corner. or they, they, they don't totally stop, but you get the idea. I said, I went over there and checked it out. They've got great ice. You guys need to know what your competition's doing. And if you don't, guess what's going to happen? Guys like me are going to just disappear one day. So, How was that received? Oh, he said, thank you. It was a gift, just mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier. Can you talk about this friction reduction cycle? The friction reduction cycle. Um, I can. Um, and what I want to do is make sure I give it in the proper order. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, we talk about no friction. And there's lots of things that could cause friction. And I think it's important that you understand what causes friction. Perhaps it's a, and I've already mentioned, you know, the breakthrough trend expectation. But in order to understand what causes the friction, you know, look at every touch point your customer has and then analyze Is it as easy as it could be? If you call me and instead of talking to someone right away, I put you into a, you know, interactive voice response experience where push one for this, two for that, three for that, and you're pushing zero, screaming, agent, agent. (laughs) Representative, yeah. Yeah, representative. That's that's friction. So, you know, the friction reduction cycle, it's the breakthrough, it's the trend, it's the expectation. Already talked about it. And, you know, as I mentioned uh, in the book... You talked about ATMs as a great example. Oh, okay. So the ATM is a great example. Yeah. 1967, Barclays Bank over in the UK uh, came out with, I believe there were six ATMs they placed around the city. Uh, And everybody thought that this was going to kill the teller, that we're going to be able to drop the number of branches of banks because people won't have to come into the bank anymore. And... Really what it did is it enhanced the experience of the customer. And for quite a while, those customers were loyal to the ATM uh, network of the bank. So Barclays might have had 200 ATMs eventually in you know the UK. And because I am able to get to the ATM, I'll choose to do business with Barclays. By the way, another bank might have their ATMs. Well, now they're, you know, there's the combined and everybody's, it's a different story. But everybody thought uh, that they were going to eliminate jobs. And if you go into a bank today, there's still tellers. And you know what else? There's still a lot of bank branches out there. So it wasn't about uh, reduce uh, creating this experience to keep people from talking to the you know to the employees. It was an experience that was used to enhance what the customer had. And mm-hmm. and that's why people become loyal. Uh, why, you know, I, the guy from Delta Airlines, I talked about him in one of my books, a friend of mine said, I just had a great experience on Delta Airlines. I got all the way to the gate and I didn't have to talk to the employees. And I said, is that because you hate the employees? He says, no, I love the employees, but they created this new system where you go online and you check in and all that. And it's like amazing. It's so easy to use too. And And I know that if I have a problem, I can call them and they'll take care of me. And that's what, doing this, uh, you know, reducing friction thing is all about. Mm-hmm. Figure out a way to uh, give give your customers a breakthrough experience, and when they enjoy it, it gets trendy, and then they get... Uh, here's what I love about the expectation, is they don't just expect it from you. They expect it from your competitors, and <laughs> right. if you're the only one doing it, 
you've now created this demanding customer that your competitors are going to feel or it, it, it's unreasonable. Yeah, I've heard it referred to as the Amazon effect. Right. Well, yeah, at the Amazon effect, the amortization, Amazonation <laughs> yeah, of, right. of the world is I want it now. I want it within an hour. <laughs> and I want an update. Has it shipped? Yeah, exactly. And, and I want all the communication that comes along with it. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day about how they were selling um, – was it MRI machines or something? Those are expensive. And they were, maybe it was GE, I can't recall, but they were saying, look, we're selling these million-dollar pieces of equipment, and we can't seem to send an email to the customer to let them know it's on the way. Hello, McFly. <laughs> right. Again, is anybody home? So yeah. this, this takes us right to Chapter 15, where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can we talk about this? Because this is a perfect example of what we're, I mean, and it, to me, this is where the book really comes together. We give you this process uh, where it's six steps. You know, we're giving all the good information away, but I'm I know, still going to give it, it away. And, and this, I, I want to give it, I want the audience to hear this because this is really freaking great. And I don't know how I came up with this over time, working with all these clients doing, you know, I have trainers that deliver workshops on my content and on and on and on. I'm, we figured it out. Here is how you start to create that I'll be back uh, you know, system, if you will. Mm-hmm. Number one, ask yourself, why would a customer do business with me instead of a competitor? And, and be, and be honest pick, about it. Yeah, and don't pick out things like, oh, because we have great service, because your competitor is going to say the same thing. Yes, yes. What are your true differentiators? Is yes. there something that really differentiates you? All right, number two, why would somebody do business with your competitor instead of you? Okay, same question, but reverse. And then take a look at those and say, you know what, is that something we should be doing? Or maybe we're doing it, we're just not doing it and making it as important as it is. But take a look at those, what you do, what they do. And, and you know, I think, you know, the goal is next is to what we call keep pace. And that is start to put that into your process. Next, I want you to look at people outside of, or companies outside of your industry. And if I were to say, what's the easiest company in the world to do business with? Most people are going to say Amazon. But what I want you to ask is, you get a team together. Who are your favorite companies to do business with for any reason whatsoever? Why do you like them? Yes. Great And Amazon's inevitably going to come up on that list. You know it. But so could the shoe repair from just down the street because why do we like them? Well, you know why? Because I come in there, the guy's friendly. Okay, everybody's friendly. Um, he, you know, I know I'm getting my shoe repaired. Tells me what it's going to cost ahead of time. Okay, I like that information. That's good. Okay, you're letting me know ahead of time what things are going to cost. We could probably do that in many of our businesses. And then he says, and even though he tells me it's always like it'll be ready on Friday, he calls me like Thursday morning to say, if you want to come by early, I've got it ready for you. He always, you know, delivers in, in a quicker way. Now, let's look at Amazon. And by the way, this is we hear this over and over again from audiences that we work for. We ask them, what do you like about Amazon? They think about it. Easy to do business with, great. They are probably one of the easiest companies, but let's keep going. Somebody said, oh, you know what I love? When I push the button, when I place my order, it immediately tells me in an email, your order's been placed. And then when they ship it, they tell me it's been shipped and they give me the tracking information. And when it arrives, I get another email that says it's here. And there's even a picture of the box laying next to my, you know, sitting next to my door. It's like they're answering my questions before I ask them. Right. But if you look down to it and you say, 
yourself, well, that's not the kind of business we have. We don't have, you know, like a, a online e-commerce business. You're missing the point. Yes. The point isn't about e-commerce. It's about delivery of information. You've kept me informed. That, you know, million-dollar MRI machine, why can't you let the customer know? It's come off the manufacturing plant. It's now going through testing. Once it gets through testing, we'll let you know. It's now done with testing. It's being crated, and it will be shipped to you on this day. It's been shipped. Here's the tracking information if you want it. It should be there on Thursday, you know, whatever. And and it's like, that's what your customers want. They want the information. Mm-hmm. And that's an Amazon technique, but it's any company's technique. Yeah, and actually, you know, moving beyond your industry, and I know we've got uh, two others here we're going to talk about, but for me, one of the most important things that people should take away from the six-step process is you caution against looking too much at just your competition. Right. That's that was the idea. really clear because your competition might suck, you know, <laughs> and that's just not a complete picture of what the expectations are for your customers. Yep. So, by the way, steps five and six. So, we've got you, you ask, you know, what do we do that's special? What does the uh, competition do? What can we change to, you know, keep pace and be better? Let's look at our uh, outsider industry at other companies. Now, what are these other companies doing that we could be doing? And you start to implement. And number six, you come back to the first question. Now that all that's done or all that is going to be done, why would someone do business with us? And that little six-step process is a great template for starting to increase the experience, enhance the experience, innovate, and adopt what's already out there. So innovation isn't about necessarily coming up with something new. It's something that might be new for you that's been out there for a while. Yes, and it's a six-step process, and I don't recall that there was a graphic here, but for me, it brought to mind a flywheel where you just keep doing it continuously. Yeah, it's something you should do every six months. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Shep, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Wow. Well, I think that six-step process is pretty important. Um, yeah, and that was very generous of you to include here. I was just reading through this thinking, wow, I, maybe I could get some, some clients to start, start adopting this. So, I mean, that's the meat. Uh, there's so many other chapters in here that are good, but you know, we talked about, if nothing else, I want you to understand the foundational concepts to start with, that moment of truth, misery, and magic. You know, the idea that that amazement is just being a little bit better than average, but all of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you want to know what it would be a really good big takeaway is recognizing the difference between repeat customers and loyal customers. Yes. Because they're not the same. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a repeat customer. I love repeat customers. But I want to understand the why behind the repetition. And so that, you know, once again, you know, we're trying to get, understand behavior. So, oh, I come to you, you know, if, you know, your competitor is three miles further, I'm not going to go to them, but what Mm -hmm. if the competitor now moved one mile closer to the customer? Am I going to lose that customer? And so I've got repeat business for the reason of convenience and logistical convenience and or it, maybe it's the price, but as soon as somebody has a lower price, am I going to lose them? Uh, but what you want to do is understand the why behind the repeat business and understand that loyalty programs like frequent flyer programs for airlines, those aren't loyalty programs. Those are marketing programs. <laughs> right. They get you to want to come back because you accumulate points, you like the rewards, and you keep trying to get more and more from the same airline. If you start spreading out your 
your rewards, it'll take that much longer to get that that free trip because you're you're trying to get a free trip on four airlines, not one airline. Makes mm-hmm. common sense. That's what's driving the repeat business. But if all those airlines were to say we can no longer do frequent flyer miles, no longer we can give you free upgrades to first class, which airline would you choose to always do business with? And about, you don't have to answer it. It's a rhetorical question. It's a great um, question, though, because I think that companies, well, my sense is that they think their customers are more loyal than they actually are. And yeah. people buy from companies for reasons that are very often different from what the company assumes. So that's why you want to find out you know, what's the why behind all mm-hmm. of these, you know, the history lesson of we did a great job and you were happy. We did a great job and you were willing to recommend us. We found, you know, thank you for telling us we were easy to do business with. Those are drivers to get the customer to come back, no doubt about it. But the question is, are they coming back? And once they do come back, specifically, what is it about the experience that makes you want to come back? And we want to find that information out because we want more of that. So there's nothing wrong with a repeat customer. Customer. I love them. I even say repeat customers are gold. Loyal customers are sacred. <laughs> so, yes, uh, yes. And you know what? I'd like to accumulate as much gold as possible. There's no doubt about it, but boy, sacred gold is even better. Right. But why are they coming back? That's great. That's great. Well, let's give the listener one thing they could do today just to put in action an idea from your book or, or something that we've talked about. Uh, something we've talked about is I would start, I would be, this is kind of an easy one because it's not so much tactical. I'll give you a tactic too, if you want, but I would like you to, um, think of customer service and experience as not a department or a strategy. I want it to be a philosophy that's part of your culture. Mm. And where does that start? It starts with you defining what that vision is in that one sentence. So I want you to Number one, recognize it's cultural, not tactical. And then I want you to define it very clearly so that everybody would understand it. Like we talked about with the Ritz-Carlton, we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Ace Hardware, this one is public-facing, but it's also big internally. We're the helpful hardware place. There's a friend of mine, not a great friend, I met him. Um, He's in Nashville, Tennessee, has a company called Symbiosis. And their, I, I don't know if I've got the exact terminology right, but their internal mantra on what they, what they want everybody to understand, this is how important customers are. We love our customers so much that when we kiss them, their lips bleed. Now, that is kind of a passion statement. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, guys, if you're not treating them that way, you're doing something wrong because that's what our culture here is all about. So that's what I would say the takeaway and the to-do is is to think about that. Also, go through those six steps that we went through. That'll be a huge game-changing experience for you if you do it the right way. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? Yeah, I just read Ray Wang's book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Interesting book. A great book on marketing. Um, I don't know when it came out within the last six months or a year. Mm -hmm. Mark Schaefer's book cumulative advantage mm. great book um the morning huddle by david Avery. I, I get a i get books sent to me all the time i read about a book or so a week oh you should start a podcast i'm thinking about starting a <laughs> podcast yeah i think i'm gonna call it what should what do you think i should call it <laughs> no. uh <clears throat> no that yeah everybody wants to rule the world ray wang yeah and actually uh 
I interviewed Mark Schaefer about cumulative advantage on the show not too long ago. Yeah, great book. I love his example. So when I watch him speak, and then I read the book, I hear the same thing coming out of the book. It's just a totally enjoyable experience. Yes. He's the king of the Marketing Book Podcast, I should add. There you uh, go. He's been on more than any other author. And uh, one more book, Mr. Hyken, and you will be a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. Well, we've got plenty of books we can talk about. <laughs> oh, that's right. We could go back. We could have a Shep Hyken Festival. Uh, and it would be a fun festival at that, wouldn't it? Yes, it would Let be the festival six straight begin. weeks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, was there another one besides uh, Mark Schaefer and um, Ray Wang? Um, you know, again, I read. Here's a great book. I just started this, so I haven't really got into it. It's it's called Product Led SEO, and and again, uh, you know, I'm always trying to look for ways to have a competitive advantage and. SEO, search engine optimization, mm-hmm. it sounds like a boring topic, but when you start to understand and break it down that really what drives that SEO and people who, when they start looking for something, find you, that is a book by a guy named Eli Schwartz. Mm-hmm. And I met Eli, I believe I met him when I was over in Singapore. He was working for SurveyMonkey at the time. And uh, I don't know, just a couple of months ago, he sent me his new book. Excellent. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I'm going to have to look into uh, to that as well as the other one. Um, oh, one other book. One yeah. other book. Oh, I've got it in my hands right here. I don't know when the book is actually being released. It may already be released. I have. I just haven't had a chance to dig into this uh, galley copy, but I've read chapters of it already because I endorsed the book. It's called Human Centered Communication by Ethan Butte and Stephen Passanelli. And oh yeah, uh, are you familiar with Bomb Bomb? Yes, absolutely. And I I know Ethan and Stephen, and their book Reunize Your Business was on the show a while back, and that episode is going to publish uh, not too long from now on uh, October fifteenth. Ah, yeah. So it's I guess they're coming out in October. That's mm-hmm. what I thought. Yep. Yeah. Now listen, there's one other thing I want to make sure listeners understand. This episode will publish on. September 10th, and it's just a little bit before your book goes on sale. So what can folks do right now to make sure they get the book and and all the bonus uh, material? All right. So here's the big bonus, okay? My publisher has allowed me to do this. This is pretty special. If you buy the book before the book comes out, September 21st, so basically you've got about 10 or 11 days here, right? Just go to my website and leave a message. Hey, uh, I bought the book on Amazon. Or you can go to my website and buy the book from me. It doesn't matter. We will send you the ebook immediately. If you buy it on my website, it immediately, you get it, okay? Mm-hmm. It just is part of the process. If you buy it through Amazon, which is totally fine, just let us know you did and you know, we're going to send you the ebook via email, uh, and you get the choice. You will be able to put it on your Kindle, your Nook, uh, on your computer. They have some kind of copy protected PDF or something like that. Uh, but you get your choice of how you want it. No extra charge. I think, uh, the publisher's charging 15 bucks for the ebook. You get it immediately and you don't have to wait another week or so before your customers start saying, I'll be back. And the website is I'llBeBackBook.com. That's where folks can go right now. And I'm going to include a link to it to make it easier. Okay, for cool. The, no apostrophe the... in the owl, by the way. Uh, in, oh, yeah. in website world, they don't like the apostrophe. I'll be back book.com. Right. So 
at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, all the things we've talked about, the books you've mentioned, uh, your site, and your LinkedIn profile. And to the listener, please do me a big favor. Reach out to Shep Hyken any way you can and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. I want him to feel like he picked the right podcast to be on so that when he comes out with his next book, he'll say, I'll be back. And he can join the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club, which gets him free upgrades. Oh, I can't wait. I don't know what the upgrades are, but they are going to be free. And then, of course, you'll get discount coupons for uh, any St. Louis area Taco Bell. But please, uh, he's worked on this book for a long time. He's He's very friendly. He would like to hear from you. And so many of the authors talk about how much they enjoy hearing from listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast saying, hey, thanks for putting up with that knuckleheaded interviewer. Your interview was great. I can't wait to read your book. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The book is I'll Be Back. How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. The author is Shep Hyken. Shep, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I came back, and I hope I'll be back again. Hasta la vista, baby. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. 